1: welcome to our show tonight i am your host doris hansen this is polygamy what love is this and we do hope that you learn something that we talk about on the show tonight Uh, but first of all we have one announcement and it's about the am 820 radio spring vision banquet it's going to be held a week from tomorrow night and it's going to be hosted by mill creek baptist church in holiday The address is 1515 East, 4500 South, and dinner will be served from 6 to 7 p.m. The doors will open at 530 p.m., and we urge you to come and support your local Christian radio station. That's what um, AM820 is, and you can purchase tickets online. You can go to upfc.org, or you can call Russ East at 801-645-7433. The guest speaker for the night uh, will be Bill McKeever, and he's the founder of Mormon Research Ministry. And he's been our guest on the show several times uh, here, and he knows a lot about the culture, um, the cultural issues that we face. So we urge you to come, support your local Christian radio station. They really need your support. That's the Spring Vision uh, Banquet a week from tomorrow night at Mill Creek Baptist Church. And for tonight's show we need to explain our disclaimer again as we're going to be covering issues uh, on both sides of the Mormon fence. And as we do discuss, discuss issues on this show, we need to remind you that we're dealing with both the polygamist and the Mormon doctrines. Uh, the polygamists use the same canon as the LDS use. They believe and teach the same uh, foundational basics as the mainline Mormon church believes and teaches. In fact, the polygamists actually look to and revere Joseph Smith as much and even perhaps more than the Main Street Mormon Church does. And it's also a fact that the polygamists follow all of Joseph Smith's teachings more faithfully than the mainline church does. In fact, the mainline church is actually in a great apostasy from the original religious system that was implemented by Joseph Smith. So please keep that in mind Uh, regarding the content of our show. And tonight we're going to be doing something kind of different for our show. Perhaps our viewers uh, will let us know what you think of it. We don't have a special guest to interview tonight, so we have invited uh, former Bishop Earl Erskine to sit in, not as a guest that we would interview. He has been our guest a a couple of times on the show in the past, but he's going to sit in kind of as a co-host and supply input from the Mormon viewpoint, the Mormon uh, perspective for the benefit of our LDS viewers. And we do have a lot of LDS viewers who are disobeying their bishop by, watching our show. And so Bishop Earl will share his viewpoint on our discussions as well as during the uh, telephone call-in time as well. So we welcome to our, our show tonight uh, my Thank co-host <laughs> Earl Erskine. Thank you Thanks. very much.
0: This will be an interesting experience and uh, yeah. I hope it goes well.
1: And, and I think most people are probably know who you are, but oh. just, just for the uh, to feel it maybe be a new viewer tonight. You were a former Mormon. You discovered the truth, and what happened? Yes,
0: I was an active, uh, faithful Latter-day Saint for over <coughs> 60 years, and came to realize that there were doctrinal problems in the church, and as I investigated it more and more, I came to determine that Joseph Smith had made a lot of changes that didn't s- sit right with me, and maybe even and eventually questioned the 1820 First Vision, and so... Uh, With much prayer and thought and and, uh, with the help of God, I was able to realize the truth, and it's been a joyous uh, journey. Mm
1: -hmm. It is a joy to get into knowing the truth, and it does indeed set us free. Um, Mormon church leaders will often advise members who question historical events and strange doctrines that they need to forget the past, and just go forward and the present and the future is what counts that the past doesn't count however the only way the past wouldn't matter with the contemporary mormon church is if they did several things if they publicly admitted That all false doctrine and cover ups were indeed deceitful, that they would renounce their past teachings from so called prophets, that they would repent as a church system of their lies and deceits, and they would reject completely Joseph Smith and all his writings. They'd turn to Jesus Christ, the one who is not Lucifer's brother, but the one who is God Almighty himself, and ask for forgiveness, not only from God, but from all the members of the church, the millions that they have led astray if the Mormon Church repented as they require their members to do they could start fresh never again be plagued by their past history and cover-ups and who knows perhaps the polygamy groups would follow their lead into honesty this of course, course must include that they use the Bible alone for doctrine Jesus alone for eternal life by grace alone through faith alone and then they would restore all twisted terminology changing them back to the original biblical definitions But until or unless they do these things, then we have to recognize that their history is their foundation, and they need to claim ownership of it, and polygamy is there. It is Mormon history. It is the umbilical cord that has never been severed and cannot be severed until they totally and publicly renounce polygamy from the beginning as a bad and ungodly doctrine and remove it from all belief and teachings. And so, Earl, if the LDS Church did that, what would happen?
0: (laughs) Wow. covers a lot. Yeah. In terms of the polygamy, um, you know, it's interesting. The Church, and as I kind of investigated it and started looking at it in an objective way, I kind of felt like the whole foundation just kept crumbling away. And, for example, if you were to take away the concept of polygamy and just say that... um, a man, one man, one wife, then you start thinking about the the impact of that comment because in the temple, of course, we can marry or do, people do marry for time and all eternity. They can marry more mm-hmm. than one person. Mm-hmm. And we have many examples of that where they have more than one wife already, right. at least when they get to heaven. The other concept that we teach, we, I keep saying that, I'm sorry. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> in the church is that um, God himself has many wives. Right. And so, for, for one doctrine to be changed would have a domino effect that would impact all kinds of scriptures and principles and doctrines that the church teaches. It,
1: would it cause a, a lot of confusion with the membership if they tried to do something like this?
0: <clears throat> you know, the interesting thing, and there have been little subtle changes over the years. Uh, and they, the church has a subtle, and I'm, I'm sorry, a very deceptive way. Of tweaking things just so and I think they will continue to tweak as they can as mm-hmm. they feel that there's <clears throat> some statistical ability to do that mm-hmm. without having this great one-time impact on people and, so
1: and, th- and that's kind of the cover-up that I'm talking about yeah. it's kind of a cover-up that they're doing they're not admitting the error so they tweak it and kind of cover it up
0: well and and don't worry about the past as you say yeah. let's just move forward let's not worry about the past I've kind of been thinking about this. These historians that have had in uh, in the church have have been um, kind of accused of of probably doing too much research, you mm-hmm. know. And we we've, we've known of BYU professors who have actually been excommunicated right. and disfellowshipped because they've studied. Mm-hmm. Because and, and we've even had general authorities talk about historians in the sense but all of us should be historians Mm -hmm. in the church we should all be intellectuals and all historians not just a bunch of blind sheep. Mm
1: -hmm. That's that's absolutely right. Well it'd be interesting if the the Mormon church owned up to it and let honesty prevail it would make a huge and a blessed difference. You know I've heard a lot of different justifications why a man should have plural wives None of them, of course, are valid, but because there really is never a justification for going against God's design of monogamy for marriage. One of the many justifications is that if a man has multiple wives then he won't go in search of the mistress and when he's spending time with a different wife the other wives at least know where he's at whereas if he is keeping a mistress that is in secret the early Mormons also taught basically the same things for instance Orson Pratt in The, in the Seer he said this and I'm going to quote uh, from page 123 and 124 quote, plurality is a great and powerful antidote against immorality. And when he says plurality, he's talking about a plurality of wives. So he's saying that it's a powerful antidote against immorality, yet the Bible teaches that polygamy itself is immoral. And then Orson Pratt said in the Journal of Discourses, volume 13, and I quote, this law of monogamy laid the foundation for prostitution and the evils and diseases of the most revolting nature and character under which modern Christendom groans, end quote. So he's blaming monogamy for sexual crimes and for sexually transmitted diseases. Brigham Young in Journal of Discourses said, and I quote, This monogamic system, which now prevails throughout Christendom and which had been a source of prostitution and whoredom until rottenness and decay are at the root of their institutions, both national and religious. But you know what? God says otherwise. It is not right to have mistresses, and it isn't right to have plural wives. Did you, were you (laughs) aware that the early Mormon fathers taught this about monogamy?
0: No, that was a different little twist that I realized that they were, it was to protect you against prostitution and having mistresses. I did a little research and when when we were talking about this particular topic and found a couple of other quotes that might be interesting to the viewers. One from Heber C. Kimball should come up on the screen. It says, I have noticed that a man who has but one wife and is inclined to that doctrine soon begins to wither and dry up while a man who goes into plurality looks fresh, young, and sprightly What is this? Why is this? Because God loves that man and because he honors his word Some of you may not believe this but I not only believe it but I also know it For a man of God to be confined to one woman is small business. I do not know what we should do if we had only one wife apiece. Wow. (laughs) And then from the millennial star, I'm not sure who the author would actually be, but this was a Mormon uh, uh, production or uh, paper publication. The one wife system not only degenerates the human family both physically and intellectually but it is entirely incompatible with the philosophical notions of immortality. It is a lure to temptation and has always proved a curse to a people. So the one-wife system is not good. So
1: they call it a curse, and they're <laughs> blaming cursed. all the immorality
0: yeah.
1: of it. on. And that's what they say today. A lot of them, I've heard them say that uh, at least when a man has a mistress, uh, you don't know where he's at. But when he's got a plural wife, that's okay. Then you know where he's at. So they're just legalizing <laughs> immorality is what they're doing. But you know what? Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2, categorically uses that very argument for monogamy. And that's going to go up on the screen. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse two says, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. And fornication, of course, is sexual immorality, whether it's uh, a mistress or two mistresses or five, it doesn't matter. It says to avoid sexual immorality You should live monogamy, that's what it says. So the very fact that men are tempted to take mistresses is the very reason that God said one man for one woman and one woman for one man. And there are several passages in the Bible that teach us that God's ideal and only plan for marriage from the beginning was and has been one man and one woman. Oddly enough, the Book of Mormon also warns against polygamous relationships, saying they are an abomination to God. The Mormon doctrine of salvation by polygamy came west when the pioneers, Mormon pioneers came west. And in those early days, just like today's polygamy groups, they forced polygamy on people who didn't want it. But does living polygamy really please God or is it an abomination like the Book of Mormon says? I have a question that I wouldn't want to ask polygamous viewers. I've asked the question before. I'm going to ask it again. If you discovered that God does not require, in fact, that he isn't pleased with polygamy, would you continue living it? Beginning in the Garden of Eden, God has shown us exactly the way he wants marriage to be, and it's very well written in 1 Corinthians 7:2: "...to each her own." Each wife should have her own personal private husband, not share her husband and not have someone else's husband, but her own. The origin of polygamy should excite great interest in those who follow the prophet Brigham Young's teachings. Now, he taught that the sin of Cain resulted in God's curse upon Cain of black skin, and that those from the line of Cain are also cursed and also have black skin. The fifth generation from Cain, there was a man born named Lamech. Lamech was the first polygamist and was born in the cursed line of Cain. Brigham Young followed in the very footsteps of Lamech, the first polygamist from the cursed line of Cain. From Cain came the first murder. From Cain's line came the first polygamist. Brigham Young taught and practiced polygamy. And polygamists today should recognize that connection and get just a little bit nervous. Now, in Genesis chapter 6, before the great flood of Noah's time, verse 2 tells us that in those days, men took as many wives as they chose. That's polygamy. The next verse tells us that God was sick and tired of contending with mankind, that people had become so wicked and evil, he was going to destroy them all. Only Noah his one wife, his three sons, each with one wife, were saved from the flood. God saved the monogamists. Read it. You'll see it. There was no polygamy practiced by Noah or his sons before the flood. No polygamy practiced by Noah and his three sons after the flood. flood. That shows again that God's plan for marriage is monogamy, not polygamy. And as we read the biblical examples of polygamy, we see nothing but pain and contention in the lives of those who lived it. We never read of a command coming from God for anyone to practice it, nor do we ever see joy and peacefulness and happiness in any family of the Bible that is a result of polygamy. Many polygamy groups today claim that the pain and trials of, of living polygamy helps them to become Christ-like. Really? The New Testament is full of all kinds of exhortations for Christians to become conformed to the likeness of Jesus. Never is there a single place where polygamy is listed as a way to become like Jesus. Now, there are many instances in the Bible where righteous men took more than one wife. Jacob and David come to mind. But you'll never find one single place where God gave a command for them or anyone to live polygamy. Most polygamy groups are offshoots from the original Mormon church and still use basic Mormon scriptures as a source of doctrine for their group. Each polygamy group believes and teaches that they alone are the one and only true kingdom of God and they alone have the keys to the kingdom and that their priesthood is the only one having God's authority here on earth. However, with dozens of different groups all claiming the same thing, including the Mormon church, how do you personally know that your group is one God has chosen. What makes you different than the others? They all have Joseph Smith as their prophet. They all have the same canon and scriptures. Why is yours the true group and the others aren't? How do you know? According to John chapter 18 verse 36, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is from another place. So if what Jesus said is true, not a single one of any of these groups are God's Kingdoms, kingdom.
0: Kingdom of God.
1: Were you taught that the LDS Church was the kingdom of God? You know,
0: I th- I've thought about that <coughs> in the last few days. Um, we actually have a, a scripture or an article of faith, number nine. We believe all that God has revealed, all that he does now reveal, and we believe he will yet reveal many great and important things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The other thing that I thought about was in the temple, we actually... Um, The very last thing you do in the temple is to, uh, in raising your hand, uh, it's a law of consecration, and we, uh, for the building up of the kingdom of God here on the earth. Mm -hmm. So, yes, it's definitely a part of the doctrine that this is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They believe is the kingdom of God here Mm -hmm.
1: on the earth. Yeah, and each polygamy group believes the same thing. The same thing. But Jesus, he came to set us free. He came to set us free from these kinds of groups that claim exclusivity.
0: Well, and unless you're founded in the Bible, everything else is just some man's uh, organization, some man's imagination. The
1: the ways and the wisdom of this world, and it's all just plain foolishness to God. And Jesus actually died on the cross for our sins, And his suffering and his death on the cross was how he paid the price for eternal life. No group can do that. There's no polygamy that can do that. Only what Jesus has done for us uh, is what counts and what can get anyone into eternal life. Jesus did the works for us already and when he died. died. And, uh, and of course, Romans uh, uh, 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. No one earns a gift. And deciding, trying to do something to earn a gift, makes it so that it's not a gift any longer.
0: That was one of the afford. things that really struck me, is is the gift that, that God's given us, the grace. In mm-hmm. the Mormon church, we don't. that's not taught that way, yeah. that it's a gift, and you can't add anything to a gift.
1: And, and they call it grace, and they're calling it grace even more than more, but they don't know the proper definition or the application of grace. No,
0: they're, they're mixing it with works always. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
1: it won't work. We've asked polygamists the following questions many times on this show. Why do you use the Bible to justify polygamy, but you refuse to allow the Bible as a guide regarding your polygamist uh, practices? Of course, we never get an answer, so we can only assume that you don't have a good one. Tonight, I want to be specific about some biblical prohibitions from God that are ignored by, and in fact, are actually preached and practiced by most polygamy groups. And we're going to discuss some very sensitive material for the next few minutes. So, if you have youngsters in the room, we would suggest that you either change channels or send them out of the room for a few minutes. I'm going to begin with a Liv- Leviticus chapter 8 and quote several verses in that chapter. Now the, the the context here is where Moses had brought the Israelites out of Egypt. They had been slaves in Egypt for 450 years, and God is teaching the the uh, Israelites how to begin living as His people rather than the heathen ways that they had learned while they were uh, living in Egypt. And as I go through these verses in the King James Version, it uses the phrase "uncovering the nakedness," which, when properly translated in today's modern English means sexual activity. The prohibitions that we're going to talk about is uh, between sexual activity between relatives, and it applies to both married and unmarried people. So we're going to start with Leviticus chapter 18 and uh, verse 3, where it says, (laughs) Moses says, you must not do as they do in Egypt where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. Down to verse 6 No one is to approach any close relative to have sexual relations. I am the Lord. Now, this sets the, the, the tone for the rest of the chapter. No close relative uh, involved with your sexual activity. Verse 7, do not dishonor your father by having sexual relations with your mother. She is your mother. Do not have relations with her. Verse eight. Do not have sexual relations with your father's wife That would dishonor your father. Do not have sexual relations with your sister Either your father's daughter, or your mother's daughter Whether she was born in the same home, or elsewhere. Do not have sexual relations with your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter That would dishonor you. Do not have sexual relations with the daughter of your father's wife born to your father She's your sister. Do not have sexual relations with your father's sister. She is your father's close relative. Do not have sexual relations with your mother's sister because she's your mother's close relative. Do not dishonor your father's brother by approaching his wife to have sexual relations. She is your aunt. Do not have sexual relations with your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. Do not have relations with her. Do not have sexual relations with your brother's wife. That would dishonor your brother. Do not have sexual relations with both a woman and her daughter. Do not have sexual relations with either her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter. They are close relatives. That is wickedness. Do not take your wife's sister as a rival wife. Do not take your wife's sister as a rival wife and have sexual relations with her while your wife is living. Verse 24, do not defile yourselves in any of these ways, because this is how the nations that I am going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled, so I punished it for its sin, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you must keep my decrees and my laws. The native born and the aliens living among you must not do any of these detestable things. For all of these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you, and the land became defiled. And if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. Everyone who does any of these detestable things, such persons must be cut off from their people. Keep my requirements and do not follow any of the detestable customs that were practiced before you came. And do not defile yourselves with them. I am the Lord your God. It doesn't end there. Leviticus chapter 20 verses 10 through 14. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife and the wife of, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. If a man sleeps with his father's wife, he has dishonored his father. Both the man and the woman must be put to death. If a man sleeps with his daughter-in-law, both of them must be put to death. What they have done is perversion. Their blood is on their head. If a man marries both a woman and her daughter, it is wicked. Did you know that Joseph Smith married a mother and her daughter. He married Sylvia Sessions Lyon, and she was already married to Windsor Lyon. And then he also married her mother, Patty Bartlett Sessions. And she was also married to another man, David Sessions. God called this wickedness. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 17, if a man marries his sister, the daughter of either his father or his mother, and they have sexual relations, it is a disgrace. Uh, Leviticus 20 verse 19 and 21 do not have sexual relations with the sister of either your mother or your father for that would dishonor a close relative both you of you would be held responsible if a man sleeps with his aunt he has dishonored his uncle they will be held responsible if a man marries his brother's wife it is an act of impurity he has he has dishonored his brother Leviticus 20, verses 22 and 23. Keep all my decrees and laws and follow them so that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. You must not live according to the customs of the nations I am going to drive out before you because they did all these things. I abhorred them. And then Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 22 says, Cursed is the man who sleeps with his sister, the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother. And all the people shall say, amen, which means all the people must agree with this. And yet many, many polygamous groups, all the way back to Joseph Smith practice, where a a, a a man will marry sisters as rival wives. Some groups where there are sisters and half-sisters marrying and getting married and stepsisters. I can name them if I would. I'm not going to, but I could. Joseph Smith married at least four sets of sisters. He married a mother and his daughter, and, and her daughter, and he married 11 women who were married to other men. Anne Eliza Young, who was a divorced wife of Brigham Young, said, and I quote, uh, that Brigham Young was charged, uh, charged that Joseph Smith was guilty of adultery. Uh, She charged that Joseph Smith was guilty of adultery. Joseph not only paid his addresses to the young and unmarried women, but he sought spiritual alliance with many married ladies. He taught them that all former marriages were null and void and that they were at perfect liberty to make another choice of a husband. The marriage covenants were not binding because they were ratified only by Gentile laws. Consequently, all the women were free. One woman said to me not very long since, while giving me some of her experiences in polygamy, the greatest trial I ever endured in my life was living with my husband and deceiving him by receiving Joseph's attentions whenever he chose to come to me, proving Joseph Smith slept with these wives. This woman, these, this woman, was seduced under the guise of religion. Some of these women have since said they did not know who was the father of their children. This is not to be wondered at, for after Joseph's declaration annulling all Gentile marriages, the greatest promiscuity was practiced, and indeed all sense of morality seemed to have been lost by at least a portion of the church." Quote. So where does that leave Joseph Smith? God described this sexual behavior this way detestable. He abhorred this behavior. Both the people and the land were defiled so God would vomit them out of the land. He'd cut them off. It was punishable behavior. It was dishonorable, disgraceful, defiled. It was iniquity, worthy of death. It was perversion, wickedness, cursed behavior. Joseph Smith practiced some of these prohibited behaviors. Joseph Smith was not a fallen prophet. Joseph Smith just plain was not a prophet. God's prohibitions for sexual behavior all summed up no sex with stepmother, sister, half-sister, stepsister, granddaughter, aunt, uncle by the same standard, another man's wife, uncle's wife, daughter-in-law, sister-in-law, brother's wife, a woman and her daughter, and Deuteronomy repeats no sexual activity with sisters, half-sisters, or stepsisters. Not only was Joseph Smith guilty of many of these forbidden behaviors, but many of the early Mormon polygamists practiced them. All the polygamous communities of today practice incest in some fashion, some more deeply than others. And so, again, I ask polygamists why do you use the Bible to explain and defend your polygamy, but you refuse to use the Bible as a guideline for your sexual activity in polygamy? Let's hear from some of our polygamous viewers tonight. You know, the use of the Bible is not to be like a buffet table, that you take what you want and reject the rest. You must accept all of it or none of it. It's all or none. Picking and choosing is hypocritical. And it's interesting to note that the Bible does not command polygamy, yet polygamists live it, but the Bible does command sexual restraint, and the polygamists refuse to obey them. It's strange thinking and very strange behavior indeed.
0: Well, and in the Mor- in Mormonism generally, in the LDS Church, we, I would say most members just think that Joseph Smith didn't practice polygamy, that he wasn't involved in it, that it came out west. Brigham Young was the main p- person who did practice polygamy, mm-hmm. and that uh, at least that's what I believed as well. Mm-hmm. For, yes, heard it is of, what you believed too. Yeah, huh? I heard that forever, that Joseph Smith only had the one wife that there were many sealed to him after he died, Mm -hmm. but never uh, sexual activity, never married. I didn't know about marrying married women.
1: And I just got an email a couple of weeks ago from a woman down south, and she told me basically the same thing. In fact, she said
0: she, she, she castigated
1: it. me that I would even
0: think of that. say yeah. something
1: like that, that he <laughs> didn't. He only had one wife, that was Emma, yeah. and, and it's, it's so, so sad that, they, that that's where their history is so important. Yeah, like we talked about earlier., yeah. history.: There are several passages of scriptures that are used um, in Mormonism and polygamous in the church that have been forced out of context. And we wanted to work with some of that tonight. And after uh, the break, which we're going to do right now, perhaps we could get to it. If not, then we'll do it some other week. But right now we're gonna open up our phone lines. Uh, 801-973-8820 is our telephone number. Uh, 801-973-TV20. Let's hear from the polygamists on this information. Uh, Why do you um, believe Uh, that you can live polygamy any way you want and not follow biblical guidelines when you claim the Bible says you're supposed to live polygamy. And so we're going to open the phone lines now, and as we're waiting for your calls to come in, we do have this message to share with you.
2: You are watching Polygamy, What Love Is This? Broadcasting live from Salt Lake City, Utah. This program is the broadcast outreach of A Shield and Refuge Ministry. Shield and Refuge is a point of first contact for Mormon fundamentalists who question the doctrines of the religion or who are actively seeking for an opportunity to escape the polygamist lifestyle. Examining the claims of fundamentalist doctrine against the backdrop of biblical truth is central to our efforts. We invite you to contact us. Call toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com We want you to know that we've made available to you some outstanding resources free of charge. You will find them at our website www.whatloveisthis.tv. There you will find the DVD Lifting the Veil of Polygamy, which documents the real-life stories told firsthand of those who were lifted out of the culture of polygamy through the power and love of Jesus Christ. Also, free of charge to you is the booklet, Is Polygamy Biblical? It explores plural marriage in the context of God's Word and answers questions like, Did God ever command polygamy? Is it part of God's plan? While you are at our website, make sure to take advantage of the archived episodes of this program, which can stream on demand directly to your computer. There are more than 100 shows to choose from. And if someone you know is unable to view this program via live broadcast, recommend that they visit this same website every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Time to watch this show through live streaming video. Simply follow the links to the live streaming video page. If you are watching live tonight, we invite you to call us as we open our phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20. That's 801-973-8820. Now, back to Polygamy, What Love Is This? with our host, Doris Hansen.
1: Welcome back to our show. This is Polygamy What Love Is This? I'm Doris Hanson, your host. And we've been talking about uh, some of the sexual practices that some of the polygamy groups and the early Mormon polygamists practiced. Uh, we have opened our telephone lines. We'd love to hear from you regarding what we've been talking about. Uh, ask uh, our co-host here, Earl Erskine, a question if you'd like with his uh, experience in the Mormon church. Did, I never I- had, got a chance to ask you what you thought about all it's nonsense.
0: Uh, well, one thing that, if I were to sit as a member, as a husband, I mean, as a father and have a, say, a 13-year-old girl, you know, of, of my, a daughter of mine, knowing that we were going to church and knowing that the men there were lining up to, to try to pick her out as a wife, I, I don't know how that, in practice, how that happened in the polygamy groups, but I... You know, you wonder what a parent would actually sit and think about knowing that these men up there on the stand are eyeing your daughter and og- ogling her or whatever, trying to decide it, how they're going to get themselves into a position to take mm-hmm. her as a wife, even when she's it, 13 and 14. It depends it must on be the group, how,
1: It depends on the group, how, it, how it's done and how the response is. And you know, there are a lot of mothers that... That I've read their stories or I've talked to and they say, I went through so much pain myself when my daughter started getting as old as I was. I wanted out. I didn't want her to have to go through what I did. But then there are others that they are so proud when their daughter is picked, especially if she's picked by By some uh, some important person.
0: How does lust enter into this? I mean, I don't. I can't imagine being a man with a couple of wives looking out there shopping for more women. I mean, lust, sex—that must be on your brain constantly, I, I isn't think it? For, I
1: think for a lot of them it is. I don't believe it is for every man who who takes no a plural wives because um, they they just do it because they believe that that's what God wants them to do. I think the men who have. The most wives, it is lust.
3: Hmm. Uh, if
1: you see a man with only maybe two or three wives, that's the minimum, living and that's the all they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, Interesting. It, it, and that, again, that varies, too, yeah. with the group and with the family, even yeah. with the people. So it's a very interesting uh, situation, and it's a very sad situation because polygamy is not something that God ever wanted a woman to have to suffer through. And you know yeah. what? The men lose, too. The men well, don't yeah, know what it's I, like to have...
0: And I've heard where Brigham Young didn't know a son or a daughter yeah. on the street, and yeah. your interaction with women, or your wives, would be so limited. and mm-hmm. It just doesn't sound like it could possibly generate much great family love and nurturing.
1: Yeah, I think it was Fanny Stenhouse. I'm not sure if it was her, but I think she said that polygamy is so bad that it makes good men bad and bad men into monsters. Wow. So it, it it changes the personality yeah,
0: of, of I the person imagine. to
1: have to go through that. Yeah. Okay, we have a call coming in. Carol Ann calling from Salt Lake City. Hello, Carol Ann. Hello. Hello, you're on the air. Hello. You're on the air, ma'am.
3: Hello, Doris.
1: Yes. Hello.
3: Is this? Um, I am. Is this real? I am so excited that you have Bishop Earl on.
1: Yes. That's exciting, isn't it?
3: (laughs) Oh, what a joy to see him. And did that mean when I saw
1: co-host that he's going to be on with you more? Whenever we have a show that I don't have a a guest that we'll be interviewing, uh, he's invited to come on and share with us. Oh, let's invite him
3: to come. (laughs) Well, let's let's invite him to come every time. We don't need any other co-hosts. We need him. He is the best man in this world who has ever been a Mormon and was smart enough to move away and teach others. Uh, And he has taught me much. God bless him. Your show is tonight A number one. Let's get let's get a cheering uh, squad for Bishop Earl, and let's have him on more doors. We love you, but, oh, my gosh, I would rather hear him. Oh, okay. Even in the Bible. I can go back and read the Bible myself, and I would rather hear him.
1: Okay. My goodness. Good enough. Thanks for calling and letting us know. Thank you so much. You're welcome. God bless. Mm-hmm, you too. Goodbye. Okay. Well, I agree. I,
0: I was going to ask her if we've met. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Don't know, but uh, oh, oh,
1: yeah. well, darn. <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm flattered, but uh, I, I appreciate this opportunity because I think uh, God has worked in my life in a unique way. I think He allowed me to see the truth and to come to a knowledge of uh, uh, of the church and its history and its doctrine, and I was able to walk away. I felt one of the things that I was concerned about was being a hypocrite, knowing one thing and living a lie Mm -hmm. and I just knew what Jesus felt about hypocrites and so I was able to to face that one of the joys of this journey has been finding Christ Mm. as a Mormon I did not know the real Jesus and I uh, I know that's true of many many Mormons they most Mormons they just do not know the real Jesus that he is Mm -hmm. God and that he sacrificed himself for us Paid the no, it, hit, paid does our it bit. mean
1: the same thing for them to believe that uh, Jesus is Satan's brother? But he died for our sins, so it's okay if they believe he's Satan's brother. Is well, it, the problem
0: I? with that is, is that it it means that Jesus was a created or an organized being. That mm-hmm. he's just come into existence because his father had him. They don't recognize him as God, right? And uh, as the
1: one and only God Almighty. As the one God. and
0: only God Almighty. Yeah. And. So anything less than that, and and the church has so many different things in its storyline that takes us away from Jesus, Uh, Mm -hmm. whether it's the angel Moroni on the temple turning our head away from the cross, or whether it's Gethsemane turning our head away from the cross. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, That's absolutely right, and even, and you're a former bishop, even the bishops, uh, the that the job of the bishop takes you away from the mediation of Jesus because he's our only mediator. The bishop shouldn't have to play that mediation role.
0: Yeah, Jesus would be our only bishop. Right, that's for sure. That's right.
1: <laughs> okay, uh, we have Aldine calling from Brigham City. Okay. Hello, Aldine. Hello. Hello. Yes, you're on the air. Uh, yes,
4: dear. This really is non-topic, as I explained to the little gal I talked to, but she said I better talk to you anyway. Okay. <laughs> Somewhere on maybe your show or another Christian show, there was a uh, uh, about Joseph Smith um, boasting uh, of, you know how much greater he was by holding the church together longer than than Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, does this sound familiar? Yes. yes mm-hmm yeah could yeah. you tell me where
1: I can find that information it's called the King Follett discourse and if you've got a computer Say again? You, the King Follett discourse King Follett k-i-n-g-f-o-l-l-e-t-t I don't know if it's two t's or not
0: I think two l's two t's
1: but you can uh, google that on the internet and you'll come up with it real fast
4: well, see, I don't have the internet, and or that so I haven't got that way of getting that information
0: you, I don't know that you have the history of the church, but I think it's volume six it, again, you could find it. maybe go to the library or have someone else look it up for you or print it off for you. I'd be happy to do that uh, if you'd leave your email address with the with the telephone operator I have have that or at least the reference I could type it and, and email you a, the whole entire boast it's and,
4: and I, I would love that but I don't have a computer I don't have email or nothing I live in a dark here. No, okay.
0: <laughs> okay. then, leave, then leave, your, uh, leave your address and I'll mail it to you
1: yeah leave the address with the operator she'll come on before you hang up and leave her address your address with her and then he'll send it to you oh thank you so much
4: you bet.
1: you're welcome I really pr-
4: appreciate that
0: it's interesting that um, that was one of the things that. Am I still on? I guess you oh, are.
1: Uh,
0: uh, Aldine. <laughs> well,
1: I think we're having a. Uh, oh, go well. ahead.
0: Well, I was just going to tell you that was one of the things that impacted my wife tremendously. I don't know if she's listening. Won't
1: well, you go ahead and just?
0: Well, just. Uh, I mean, she was list- looking at all the different things that I had found. But when she came across this boast of Joseph Smith that I've done a greater work than uh, including Peter, John, Paul and Mm -hmm. Jesus and that they couldn't hold their church together, but I could. And that just was impactful because it's so proud and it's so unprofit-like.
1: And what does it say in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9? We're we're not—we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. So no man can boast.
0: That's right. And then
1: Joseph Smith gets up there and says, "I can boast of more yet," and and it just shows the contrast.
0: And when you really can step back just a little and look at the whole picture, it just is—it's kind of easy to see. And you find out that the foundation is on kind of sandy soil. It
1: definitely is. And Jesus said they'll fall with a crash if they're on the sandy soil. Uh, We have an off-the-air comment, Uh, people need to know the true history of the LDS church before they are baptized into it. Absolutely right. I would agree.
0: Well, one of the things that we've talked about historians and intellectuals before, but I really believe everyone that I've talked to, and you know I've hosted a a talk show, it's actually tomorrow night at 8 o'clock here on TV20, Mm -hmm. but... um, Almost everyone to a person has said they know more about the church now that they've left than they yeah. did when they were in it. Exactly. And I think if, I, I can't even imagine a parent, if a son or a daughter came to a parent and said, you know what, I want to become a historian for the ch- in the church and study all the aspects of Mormon history and doctrine, I think it would make a parent panic <laughs> because the truth and what's out there to be learned will... Uh, Will draw you away from the church, and
1: it'll so, make it the general authorities panic too. <laughs> yes, it would.
0: <laughs> okay,
1: okay. It uh, looks like History of the Church, Volume Six, pages four hundred eight and four hundred nine, is where the King Follett discourse is at. Uh, if our caller is watching, um, that's where it's at. History of the Church, Volume Six, pages four hundred eight and four hundred nine. Okay, we have a delightful caller calling on line two, Kaziah Hancock. Hello, Kaziah.
5: Hey. Hey there. I just, I just want to say real quick, you know, it's all about money, power, and sex, and favors, and young kids getting brownie points. You know, uh, doing favors for those that are in the leadership position so that uh, if they get enough uh, brownie points, as I like to describe it, then they can uh, be worthy of a wife. Uh, you know, hey, the brethren get these women, uh, you know, handed to them for free because these stupid mothers don't have a clue that they're being used, and uh, so they submit their daughters for the uh, for the, for uh, you know, like people that pay tithing mm-hmm. and goods and yeah. services. Hey, darling, I'll just end it with this: I love Mormons. I hate Mormonism. And I'm so glad that the God that I worship, he he really hates it too. Because it's just its just wrong.
1: It is wrong. All right. Hey, it's I love wrong. you
5: guys, though. Hey, thanks, Kaziah. No. He taught the good Keziah. work. Okay?
1: I always love to hear from yes. you. Have a good night. You too. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Um, there's often that we get comments, and I'm sure you've. I would be surprised if you hadn't received comments, too, how bad we hate Mormons. Um, And what Keziah said is so true. We don't hate Mormons, but we don't like their doctrine.
0: No, and and, and it is. In fact, we have a great love for the Mormon people. I have so many family members that Mm -hmm. are in it. And one of the real challenges with all of this is when a person like myself and and my wife, Carla, come out of the church, uh, you leave family, friends, it's a it's a big decision Mm -hmm. Uh, we had a temple marriage we left that Um, but we came to realize that those things were not of God they're all
1: fraud they're not even real
0: and uh, and we couldn't walk we couldn't stay in and be hypocrites again and we had to uh, but even though it's been tough and and Jesus even knew that when he said that there'd be it would divide maybe families and mothers and fathers and sons and daughters and so on but It's been worth it. It's there's such a burden lifted off your shoulders Mm -hmm. when you realize that you have nothing to offer God but your love, and um, and and that He's paid for all of our sins, and we can stand righteous before Him because of what Jesus did. Because
1: of what He did, and nothing what we can do at all. Nothing that we can
0: do. We can't do anything. Of course, we do good works because we love, uh, but Mm -hmm. it's it's not. it's not because we have to to earn our way you can't earn our way to heaven we can't Mm -hmm. put God in our debt
3: you know that's one of
0: the things that the Mormons teach constantly is that we have to obey have to keep the commandments have to do all those things that uh, Uh, in order to please God and to to earn our way to heaven. And
1: and that's what my mother also taught about the debt thing, that if we do all these things, live the polygamy and do it with a sweet spirit and do all these good things and give them all of our money and all of our work and everything, that we have earned our glory and then God owes it to us.
0: That's right. Yeah. He
1: owes it to it, But well, God does, like you said, he does, he's not in debt to anyone. Anyway. Uh,
0: Doctrine and Covenants teaches that uh, we're ba- he's bound when we do what, he, what we yeah, say.
1: That's right. And that
0: was one of the things that struck me was I, I didn't feel like I could put God in my debt that he could ever Mm-mm. owe me because I've been a good boy uh, would,
1: would you agree or would you maybe comment on the idea that Mormonism, again, and that includes polygamy, polygamists, they don't really understand how big our God really is?
0: Absolutely. I think that's a good point. Uh, again, going back to the, Jesus and, and Lucifer, our God, and uh, the God of Mormonism, is just one in a long line of uh, of gods.
3: Mm-hmm. And
0: I don't know whether that just subtly diminishes His... I don't know that we praise this Almighty God in Mormonism the way we do as Christians. Well, I know we don't. Mm-hmm. As a Christians, He is Almighty God. There's only been one God, and mm-hmm. He is... He can do everything. Where mm-hmm. the Mormonism God, He's limited. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has to have the priesthood, for one thing. He can't do anything without the priesthood, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, the melchizedek and, priesthood And that's kind which is of a,
1: odd to think that God has story. to have a priesthood Well, he, he's the one that provided and yeah. created everything.
0: <laughs> he has to have a priesthood, he has to obey laws, he has to obey the natural laws, he has to mm-hmm. obey. It, it's it's humorous when you think about it. We've and then eventually Joseph Smith came to believe that Jesus or that God had a, a body of flesh and bone. And yet, he would create spirit children who yeah, aren't how does that work? similar. I don't know that. And the
1: Book of Mormon teaches but he's a spirit.
0: Yes, not yeah. The as flesh does and bone. the Bible, of course. Right. And so it's humorous in a way that the Mormons would come to the concept that there have been multi- m- multiple gods, and that this god that we have is just a, a man that was on some earth somewhere. And yeah. it sounds good because it's it fulfills a need of the progression, a thought of progressing and it gives us incentive, I I suppose. But I have a greater love and and respect and admiration and praise for for the God, the Christian God that I know now than I did as a Mormon. Did
1: you find yourself lost in wondering what your purpose was when you realized that it's not eternal progression when you die? I mean, what are we going to do now? Because because before that, you had your eternal yeah. progression all lined out for you. But now, you don't have that.
0: Since none of us know what's going to happen after this life, Carla and I, in our our eternal marriage, we determined that we would leave that in God's hands. We mm-hmm. assume that he has so much greater plan for us than we can possibly imagine.
1: That's right. Yeah, and,
0: and if we love each other, Carla and myself, and we want to be together in heaven, and that fits into God's plans, that's what... Will happen, but we, there won't
1: be the marriage union and no, like no. like we know but, it here by any means at But to be friends
0: and to be whatever God has planned, we're excited to know what that is, right. and it's going to be greater than anything we have here. It
1: has to be greater, and there's no way that it can be explained because it's a different dimension. Heaven is That's a different right, dimension, yeah. and so we can't explain it or even couldn't understand it in human earthly terms. His yeah. kingdom is not of this world, so how would we be able to understand the yeah. things? that isn't of this world. And
0: I don't think we're going to find any earthly gold plates up there either. So, No, but know. the streets
1: will be paved with gold up there. Okay. <laughs> Maybe the don't. gold plates. Huh? Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: well, we appreciate you having here. Uh, oh, and, thanks, I enjoyed it. And by the way, he'll be back next week, as we don't have a guest next week, so he'll be also be our co-host next week as we um, go into another topic. You know, it's never okay to change God's Word. For instance, it isn't okay to change the sacrament to bread and water. It isn't okay to change who Jesus is or who God is. Jesus is not Satan's brother and God was not once a man. It isn't okay to change marriage. Polygamy is not okay. Obeying part of what God has commanded is equal to obeying none of what God has commanded. Believing some of what God has revealed is equal to believing none of what He has revealed. With God it's all or nothing. There can be no compromise. In fact, God hates compromise. God established pol- uh, monogamy. He did not establish polygamy. God wanted each woman to have the blessing of receiving the full attendance and attention of her husband. Each man is to have his own wife. Each woman is to have her own husband. The command in 1 Corinthians is the closest, uh, clearest verse against polygamy as you'll find in the bi- Bible. It's not okay to change that. Polygamy teaches that a woman isn't worthy of having her own husband, but God thinks otherwise. Ephesians 5.33, God tells us that each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. There are very few women from polygamy that I've ever spoken with who have ever received the love from her polygamist husband that God commands him to have for his wife. And notice that the word is singular, wife, not wives. And how can a woman respect her husband? When she knows that every night that he's not with her, he's out there with, sleeping with some other woman, giving her his love. Polygamy does not model the love that God desires a man and his wife to share. That's why our show is entitled Polygamy, What Love Is This? Because polygamy fragments love. It doesn't fulfill it. Good night.
0: This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This?